Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Entertainment of Excellence, the podcast where we talk about films, TV, all of it. Hi, I'm Ollie. I'm Tom. And I'm Ben. And today, and today we're, we're going to be talking the 2017 psychological thriller, You Were Never Really Here. Indeed. This will contain spoilers. Uh, Tom, do you want to give a synopsis? Um, okay. So, it's about... Uh, a war veteran called Joe, who is also like a hired vigilante, who goes to save a girl from a child sex trafficking ring. Um, and when he does save her, it turns out that this um, governor, that was like, she was his favourite, uh, it's, it's pretty grave. Um, <laughs> this governor gets annoyed, basically, that his favourite child prostitute has been taken so he tries to kill everyone involved with um in, involved with like the rescue i suppose uh, and then it's so then it's about joe trying to get the girl back and save her from him pretty pretty simple plot yeah yeah uh, at least in an overview yeah so usually I look at the most common questions about the film, but really the the only big one that isn't just like, well, is there gonna be a sequel or something, which I don't think there is, because it was no, no. it was based on a book or a novella by the same name in twenty thirteen. Um and there hasn't been any sequels for that and I I don't see any sequel possibility for this. So the only other question is <laughs> the other classic. Can you explain the ending? Um, there's not really much to explain. The only thing is that um, the very last scene where he, well, Joe and the girl Nina are in the uh, like diner. The... There's a shot where she goes away and he grabs a gun and shoots himself in the head um, and dies and there's blood everywhere, it gets on everyone, but nobody notices him. The waitress drops off a receipt for him, that's got blood all over it, nobody notices he's died and then Nina comes back in, he's just asleep. So it's kind of a surreal representation of just him like having suicidal thoughts it there's nothing it there's some theories that are like i don't know he like actually killed himself and the when nina comes back in that's just like an idealistic representation of what would have happened but i don't really think it's that deep i think the focus was more on the fact that everyone was ignoring him in that surreal scene so that just kind of says that society just sort of ignores when traumatic events happen which i think is one of the biggest film uh themes of the film where people just ignore um traumatic events happening um so like for example the joe himself suffers from severe like ptsd um and from well, from his childhood and from his past in the military and stuff. Um, and then, like, the girl Nina kind of mirrors that in that she's 
been like turned in trafficked and turned into a prostitute basically and then later in the film she like slits someone's throat um and i guess there's a sort of loss of innocence there which is kind of cool but uh i guess before we dive deeper into the themes of the film we'll just uh well well what were your impressions of the the like the filmmaking and directing and everything uh i i thought it was brilliant i mean like just the cinematography was really good there were some beautifully shot scenes um like the the lake scene i thought that was amazing <laughs> just yeah, the way yeah. it was done uh it was it was really great for me yeah um i think it and really cool, I think, like the soundtrack stuff. was really good. It's done by Johnny Greenwood uh, from Radiohead, the guitarist. But it, it it was actually like it was completely different to what I would have thought he'd write. If you know what I mean, hmm. it's not the kind of music I thought Johnny Greenwood would do. But uh, it was yeah. really good. It, it helped like with the almost jarring kind of tone uh, and so the soundtrack really helped and obviously Wacken Phoenix's performance was just really good and I actually liked the slow plot um, yeah. or the slow pace even I, some people say that maybe it should have just been a short film but it really helped you kind of delve into the mind of Joe and uh, what his motivations are and his trauma so yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I agree that sort of the cinematography and soundtrack definitely helped enhance the themes of him sort of um sort of being excluded from society and obviously dealing with his psychological issues. And also really enjoyed Rockin' Phoenix because I I think there are definitely some similarities to his performance in Joker. Um but also the the poignant uh, scene where he was in the like in the river with uh, with his mum, but then you also see Nina. I think that was definitely one of the highlights in terms of cinematography and just sort of conveying the message of his own uh, exclusion and his own internal issues. Yeah, the whole. This whole cinematography is just amazing, but also I think the use of sound design was also really good because, um, <laughs> what? What's going on with Tom? <laughs> he just left. Because <laughs> it's just us two. Okay, so the original Tom's... podcast. <laughs> <laughs> He's no longer a special guest. He's been kicked off. <laughs> so um, anyway, I was saying about the, the the use of sound design because um, yeah, there were points where the it would sort of alternate between like visual action on screen and then more just like reserved, focusing more on like I guess emotions with and with the sound and everything because there'd be parts where. There are parts where it's like total silence. Um, yeah. 
but there are also parts where there's no dialogue, but there are like there's like a mix of like Johnny Greenwood's score um and some sound effects that just kind of create this sort of atmosphere that really enhances the sort of emotional impact uh the characters are meant to be having. Um Yeah. I don't think sorry. <laughs> My audio broke, um, it turns out the computer just decided to automatically put the master volume down to zero. Why? Carry on. <laughs> oh, you know, so I, missed, I gave the like a really big thing again. about <laughs> I did a really big thing about what I really liked about the film and cinematography and everything and oh, uh, I didn't that. hear any of it. <laughs> oh you did hear that? Yeah. I think oh. so. Oh, then okay, you that's loud. so loud. <laughs> uh, but I don't think I was as much of a fan of the slow pace. Um, I know that I know it was sort of reflective of his own internal struggles, and it did. It made it. Uh, it sort of gave a deeper analysis of um, character development of Joe. Uh, I think like the ending, it, it sort of culminated, and I think it, it like I understand people who have criticisms of the slow pacing, and I wasn't a huge fan of it myself. But I don't think it was that destructive in the grand scheme of things. I still really enjoyed the film. Yeah, like you could have had it maybe a little bit shorter. Maybe like it's an hour and a half. You could have maybe done it in like I don't know, an hour, an hour and ten. But you, a lot of the slow pacing, to be fair, is more character development. And as I said, with the scenes where it's not outright action, um, it's focusing more on the, the sound design, the score, and the emotional connection. So, yeah, it, it, it gets... Um, I don't want to say it gets annoying. It gets noticeable at some points, but... I don't really think you I, could cut it down too much because that's really yeah, what makes it. For it me, is. it was only the start that I felt maybe could have been a bit faster, but yeah, I think everything after halfway through, I thought the pacing was good. Um, yeah. But the the start, I think, partly it did take a while for stuff to happen. Something else that I did like was. It was as we were saying about the like character development, and also I'm sure we'll touch on sort of the ambiguity uh, surrounding like underlying themes or theories that people have about what if there was like a if, if it was all a metaphor or something. But um, something else was sort of how no other characters were featured that prominently in it because. Like Nina, I think she only had a couple of lines. I mean, obviously there was the like countdown to mile twenty-two there, but uh, and then his his mum as well. She didn't have like, a huge role in it, but it also it. I think it could have easily quite excessively sort of um, relied on flashbacks to his past and the Gulf mm. War, but it it did it effectively. But it didn't do it to the point where it's sort of detrimental to the the impact, impactful nature of of evoking uh, these emotions towards Joe. Yeah. Yeah. 
Mm. Yeah, there were there were some flashbacks in the film, but it definitely didn't overly rely on them. It was yeah. it kind of focused more on his reactions to things that have happened to him in the past rather than focusing on the things that happened to him in the past, if that makes sense. So, like, you do see shots of him um, suffering from PTSD and there's cut, cutting back to his childhood or whatever. Um, but then there's also a lot of, like, delving into... There's just, like, subtle things where, that he does which are obviously influenced by what's happened to him in the past. So, for example, when he finds the people who killed his mum. Uh, he shoots both of them, but one of them doesn't die outright. So he kind of just goes up to him, interrogates him a bit, but then kind of... He gives him a pill to help with the pain, um, and then there's some music on, and they both have a little moment where they sort of sing a bit. Um, and then he holds his hands as he dies, which kind of shows that whilst he's obviously prone to violence because of his past, he doesn't want to do it. Um, and he, and I think that's probably because of his, his trauma. You can definitely tell that. And there's definitely a connection there between the audience and him. Yeah. Cause a lot of the time, as I was saying, they, they didn't explicitly show what happened, but uh, I think they did a good job in, showing sort of how, how he's become almost immune to pain, like the scenes where he's got the the plastic bag over his face, he's sort of screaming oh, yeah. into it. And there's also the scene right, well, not right at the end, but um, after when he's in the house and he's walking down the corridor, there's brief flashes of, uh, I think there's one of his childhood and then just different, some of them are, uh, Lots of uh, we've been shown throughout the school, uh, the film, but then also sort of uh, references to his own past. And as you were saying, it's more focused on his reaction to that rather than the actual events that happened. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Mm. I guess the whole the whole story itself isn't the most complex. It's just the I think, and it's also been done before a few times where you've got a sort of um, traumatised mercenary who has to go and do something in case, in this case, pick up, um, rescue. Well, it, it starts off that he has to rescue this this child prostitute and destroy the trafficking ring. Um, but yeah, the, the definitely the... The crux of the film is more about how he is as a person and how he interacts with, I guess, these stressful situations as well. Because it's it's odd that he and he he um, he uses guns quite a bit, but he, like the the main thing he does to kill people is a hammer which seems yes. to be like an extremely violent way of killing someone when you could just shoot them once and be done with it. But no, he, he's using a hammer very v violently. 
but it's yeah. also very very clear that he doesn't enjoy violence um and yeah he and especially especially that scene with the the dying hit hitman i think the dying hitman he was that was very powerful it it kind of made him a lot more or well, a lot more human but also i guess just expands on his character yeah yeah it and it shows that he maybe he isn't a fan of being so violent but um because obviously talking about like using the hammer and you see his dad in the flashbacks using the, i think it's the same hammer mm. so it's kind of saying that he's a product of his past maybe and that he didn't want to be this way but he was kind of made that way and because i mean obviously he isn't happy with who he is because he's constantly throughout the film is kind of um he's always on the edge of suicide so you'll see him quite often you know a, do a suicide attempt to then stop at the last second like putting his head in front of a train and then pulling it back or uh putting his head in a plastic bag and then uh taking his head out at the last second stuff like that yeah but also mm. the thing about him using a hammer sort of presents him as an anti-hero to an extent because there's the references to and his mum's talking about Jin Psycho then he almost has those moments where he's he's sort of like threatening or imitating to kill her but um, I guess that's sort of why some people have theorised that that might have been a possibility for what actually happened um it definitely sort of presents him as relatable but he's not necessarily someone that can get behind all of his motives but that that does build in with the sense of him being like mentally volatile and not and having sorts of uh conflicts about his past yeah hmm. I guess should we go into some of the theories because there's some good ones but then there's some really weird ones which yeah. I'm not sure we can get behind I'll, I'll let you explain to yeah. Um. so I mean my, I prefer the nice one <laughs> <laughs> where I, he, he does save this girl and then at the end uh, he was kind of fantasizing about killing himself but it ends with the girl saying, like, should we go outside? It's a beautiful day. And then he kind of says, it is a beautiful day. And, you know, I for me, that's him saying um, that even after all this violence and trauma, that maybe he can move on with his life and do something fulfilling and, you know, be happy with uh, this girl. Um, there are also not-so-nice theories. <laughs> Do something for example um a there is an incest theory Ooh, all you fans of incest listen in uh i hope that's no one uh I hope so. <laughs> and the the whole time it's about his incestuous relationship with his mother and the the flashbacks were when his father found out and was going to be violent but didn't do anything to stop it and that this girl represents his mother in the government sex ring his dad's like keeping her away from him but 
that doesn't make sense. Oh, and apparently this is so obvious when in the lake scene, which is like one of the most beautiful scenes in the film. Um, in it, like first you see his mother in the lake, and then it switches to the girl. So obviously, they, it means they're the same person. It's like what? Even if that was true, he's literally like saving this girl from being raped. It's like, I don't know. So, yeah. Uh, for me, it doesn't seem right. Uh, <laughs> Even if also um, makes the film a lot more depressing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Even if. Uh, the girl and his mother aren't the same person as that theorizes. I think it's still important that she's sort of an intrinsic part of him. Cause even if you look at like the, the poster, it's almost symbolic because she, the scene in the lake where you see her floating, that is a, it, sort of inside of him. Um, so I, I, I definitely don't agree with like the, the incest, uh, theory but um there is definitely something that could be applied to the film about her and her relevance even though she's not she doesn't necessarily have massively major role in the actual order of events in terms of her own uh, in terms of how much she's actually in the film and the dialogue Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's that, one of the complaints I saw was that many of like all characters except Joe were used as an emotional device for the audience, like that you never find anything out about them. And I think that's a yeah. fair criticism. Like that, mm. it is true that you don't really know anything about the other characters except Joe. But I think that's because of the film's focus, and it is more about exploring Joe and his past traumas and uh, PTSD and stuff. So I think it makes sense, but I also understand and slightly agree with the fact that I guess no other characters are properly looked into. Yeah. yeah. Which, which could have like made up the film's runtime if you cut down the pacing and then... Although I don't know how you do it. Maybe that would ruin it. Don't listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... I don't, I don't think the incest theory holds up because... Well, it holds up, I guess, by its own logic, but for me it doesn't make sense because, especially with, right, the the lake scene, so, so the, he's put, he's, he's, his mother's there and she's sinking and then suddenly she turns into the girl, so that obviously means that she's the girl. I don't, I think it's more like... It's meant to represent more that um, he couldn't save his mother, but he could still save the girl. You know, something yeah. something like that. Yes. You know. Maybe yeah, that's... that was more for me. That was him like waking up and going like, "Oh, I need to save her." And then, obviously, his devastation when he finds out that actually she's killed her captor already, and maybe she's lost her innocence because of that. Yeah. Because maybe we are talking quite a bit about that scene, but I think it was and that the was one turning of the best point scenes, for him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just visually, it looked amazing. In the context of the film, it was sort of like I wouldn't say like a climax, but sort of like a central point, maybe. Yeah. Because also, maybe. Yeah. You know, you know, at the end when. Um, sorry, we're sort of jumping around here, but um, 
when Nina at the end says um, <laughs> that, well, it's a beautiful day, maybe the reason that he finds that so impactful is because he thought she'd, like, lost her innocence or something. But then at the end when she's just... Like, he's obviously quite depressed. Um, and because of all that's happened, all this trauma and... They just literally had a conversation two minutes before that says neither of them know what to do, but she's just sort of down to earth and saying it's a beautiful day outside, and he sort of agrees. Mm. He's like, he thought all hope was lost for her, but then she's still like thriving, I guess, and so he it sort of gives him the motivation to get back on his feet and sort of look after her, I guess. Yeah, just I think. Just like the lack of clarity in the ending, sort of, it's inevitable that there's going to be some far-fetched theories about. Oh, I, I, I didn't anticipate quite the extent of what we found out in terms of what people thought uh, sort of happened, but um, sort of it it leads to this debate about his character development and then any other sort of external factors that contributed to that. Maybe not to the extent of his mum and I don't know. Yeah. Mm. So I guess let's just sort of break it down, I guess, and say what sort of themes there were running throughout it, because there was definitely a very major theme of dealing with trauma i guess um, oh i think that is like the theme <laughs> yeah, yeah because obviously it's a major part of joe's character and it's his motivation for saving and staying with nina but then i'm just trying to think that there seem to be some other themes sort of going alongside it so like there was a there was a lesser one that's sort of piggybacking off that that people don't that society in general doesn't acknowledge like when trauma happens or something bad really happens because obviously the um the end and i've already spoken about this where he kills himself in this sort of surreal scene and nobody notices which sort of represents that um but then there's also just I don't know, the way it was done when the... Well, it was... At the time, it was assumed that he was the girl's father. Um, the state senator had, like, mm. killed himself. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it was. Whether it was, like, the the shots or something, but it just kind of gave this impression that nobody really cared. And then also, I guess, the f fact that right after that the the police come in and take the girl away and um and he he <clears throat> he's like caught and everything i, I don't know it, mm. maybe it's just like i don't know i don't know what i'm trying to say Should we, yeah. <laughs> yeah let's move really, on and I... talk about do you want to talk about how action the action is well action in air quotes have we talked about that the different um, ways it portrays the so. like violence and stuff. So, uh, I mean, it does it really well all the time, uh, every time. So, in the scene of like the the ha like 
house with all the child prostitutes in, the action is shown through black and white CCTV footage. And it will often mm. actually cut away when Joe is being violent. And I, mean, I don't know if, yeah, I mean, you could look into it and say maybe it's Joe's trying to block it out from his mind and doesn't like that part of him or whatever. But um, it does really kind of accentuate it and it cuts back and you, you know, you see what's left and stuff. And that seems like really impactful, especially when he goes in and like kills some guy and then a small girl walks out of that same room and you're like, oh, wow, that is awful. Um, yeah. And then there's also the scene where when the police officers come and take the girl, like one of them takes him and then Joe ends up fighting with the other ones and they they end up kind of struggling on the floor and then you see the action through the camera pointed up at the ceiling, uh, like a cracked mirror uh, for, for a ceiling. So that's really cool as well. Yeah. yeah, and then in the final thing, when he goes to the governor's house, it has a long string of establishing shots and Joe walking through them to kind of show the, you know, him creeping in kind of thing. And it's there's no soundtrack, which actually works really well, even though the soundtrack is brilliant. Um, and then that also, you only see him just after he's kind of whacked them in the head with a hammer. Um, so yeah, that that was also really good. Yeah. Hmm. We've said the soundtrack's good, but have, have we actually <laughs> described it? Not in depth. No. It, it basically it, it uses like a lot of the sounds around the city and stuff. So there was one of them where it sounds almost like a drill or something, but kind of acts as like the uh, beat, and then it goes into the, I guess, more uh, melodic part. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff like that and using the sound, which obviously throughout this film the director does because there's barely any dialogue. Uh, it's it's all about, um, you know, it, it it uses sound a lot. Uh, yeah. you know, for trauma, calling back to trauma. That that I mean, I'm just remembering like random shots like when he's passing the chocolate bar to the girl when he was in the army, and then like straight after she gets shot, just because some boy wanted the chocolate bar it's, I don't know it is um, there's a lot of use of sound like the, the counting down that the girl does and then I think Joe also does a countdown at one point when he's in the lake yeah if my is, memory serves me correct is the counting down for because I've seen that question like what is she so, actually counting down uh, somewhere I saw that because obviously for child prostitutes they basically drug them up so they have no, no idea what's going on so one yeah. thing was saying that um, it was like the length until she kind of gets her um, almost mind back then I guess or you know full control of herself because when the drugs have worn off um, so some people think it's counting down from that I think um, in, in the lake it was probably him counting down until he dies, to be honest, because he was kind of going to kill himself. He was just going to drown himself, um, but then it, he goes back up before it reaches zero. So... Mm. Another theme that I picked on... Um, was sort of his own 
not really love, but there's that one line where uh, he's asked, do you have any children? And then it's almost as if he's sort of viewing Nina as his own child and then he's almost feels like it's his uh, sort of destiny to rescue her and put things right, which also links back to when uh, when you see um, the dead body in the house and there's a lot of innocence there, but then it still mm. continues when in the last scene, you know, when she's sort of saying it's a beautiful day. So he's sort of uh, got an element of uh, protection for her that he, he's almost been robbed of in his own personal life, which also you could link to him and his mum because with with quite a few depictions of like uh and you sort of have the protagonist looking after sort of an invalid uh elderly parent not necessarily that she is but like in joker um it, it's almost as if the mum is manipulating the child and they're sort of um not grateful for what they're doing whereas this relationship i'm not saying it's quite to the extent of incest but it is it's definitely more cordial and it's almost as if maybe that was an incentive behind if he did kill her he almost felt as if he have he had to not because uh they were they weren't close but they were almost too close and she was too supportive so maybe there's some sort of theme to do with his own love, which is to do with his character development as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it, you definitely got you definitely definitely got the the um, idea that he was sort of going to well after the film ends, he was going to become her sort of parental figure and take. Yeah. care of her in because in his own childhood he, he did his f- father was abusive and stuff um so yeah i'm not gonna say any more before i embarrass myself again <laughs> <laughs> there's there's so many things in it that you want to talk about you have but like have no idea how to i don't know how to explain mm. it it's kind of it's obviously not um like a blockbuster or whatever you know it's more air quotes art house i'm not exactly like an art house uh you know master or whatever mm. that's just what uh, i've heard that this is technically an art house movie so yeah. it, that means that it's, it is more about uh presenting themes and also trying to look visually amazing and stuff like that so um, it, it means there will be a lot that you want to talk about, but obviously, uh, it's more. It can be more difficult, I suppose, yeah. to do what so was, because. What was the budget for it? That is a a good question. Apparently, the worldwide gross was just over nine million dollars, and it it's got a pretty high meta score, eighty four. But yeah, about. It's quite about... divisive in terms of the reviews. Oh no! Wait, no, that's domestic. That's how much it got. That's not the budget. Rubbish. <laughs> Two point uh, five million. Come on. It's... 
no, no, that that's that's what I saw. But if you look at that's what it actually grows oh. domestically. It's yeah. a trick. Um, uh, say, it's it, like it just says tiny. You were never really here. Made two point five million domestically on a budget that was undoubtedly less. So where? What is the budget? Because <laughs> yeah, Grr. why doesn't it have the budget? Financial information. Show us Come your on. budget. Give me the budget. Totally crash over just like a, a quick little <laughs> Google search. I don't think it was yeah. that. It can't be that high. No. Yeah. It's uh, so secret. No one can know the budget if you were never really here. Yeah. Maybe it was never really financed. Oh. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. Why doesn't it say... I assume the main budget will have been like the lake scene and injury. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's move on. And if we find it out, we'll post it on social media for everyone who's interested. <laughs> yeah. But going yes. back to um, the the reviews, I, I definitely don't think it deserves... I've seen quite a few saying like, I wish I was never really here when watching this. Um <laughs> But they're mostly to do with the pacing. <laughs> mostly to do with the pacing or the... Just sort of, they didn't really know what was going on. I definitely don't think it deserves that, but I can understand if if you were somehow sort of confused or you wanted a definitive answer on his own motives, his own struggles, and the ending, what, what it means... If, if you're more of a person who wants it set in stone, then I can understand why you would have that criticism, but I don't agree with it as such. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's, it's definitely quite a complex movie, and if you just want some quick entertainment, then it's definitely not for you. Um, yeah, especially with the pacing and stuff, because you're, you have to be not so much patient, but like perceptive of why they're doing the things they did because the um obviously the the quieter moments which with quieter audio and quieter like short long shots um did i just say short long shots i mean just long shots uh yes for emotional impact rather than uh, anything else so if you if you've got a bit of patience um, and you understand why like silence is used for effect for example there's quite a bit of that then I'm sure yeah. you'll probably enjoy this um, but it's definitely not a, a quick action thriller like I don't know mile 22 you know but that's also quite interesting because Despite the slow pacing and you're saying it's not a quick action film, it, the runtime is relatively really short compared to some of the other things we've watched. And uh, it's mm. not even as if we've watched any sort of three-hour blockbusters, but I guess that if it is based on a novella, as you said, maybe the limited source material contributed to... They sort of felt that they had to pace it a bit slower to compensate for the lack of... Not a lack of story, but just to make sure that it could actually get up to feature length film. Yeah. Mm. Time. I don't yeah. know how do you know how long the novella was? Um no. 
I'm, we're going to look it up and it's just going to be another question where we can't know the answer. <laughs> That'd be impressive if the novella didn't have <laughs> uh, <laughs> didn't have a known length. Yeah, it's it's about 90 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> a 90 minute read? Or? <laughs> yeah, yeah it's a 90 minute read. Uh, it is 112 pages, so around the length of oh. Christmas Carol. Yeah, nice so. <laughs> so not that short, but it's, did you say it's from 2013? Yeah, the the book. Quite interesting how I'd sort of expect it to be an older one, but four years after it's made into a film. How come? How come oh, I can what? see why you'd think that. It it feels like. <sighs> I don't know. I can't really put it into words. It feels like it's a bit, like timeless. I guess, like it. Yeah. Like you could imagine it being written in I don't know the nineties or whatever. Um, the Gulf War was like early nineties, so yeah, maybe like early two thousands or something. But I don't know. Mm. But yeah, it, it feel it's a bit, it's a bit odd that it was only just a few years before it was made. Like, yeah. but... It's interesting that the the book is apparently extremely fast paced. That's just interesting. <laughs> nice, cool. So, sh- shall we wrap uh, wrap it up and give our ratings then? Because we sure. could go into yeah. a lot more detail. But to be honest, I don't think we we're not qualified. <laughs> yeah, we'll just embarrass ourselves again. So yeah, let's. What, what, what um, I'll go first. I would give it a solid eight. Um, I'd give it a seven point five. Oh, I was also going to go seven point five. I think because some lovely thirds. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to round to um, decimal places, but um, no, it was it was effective and everything and but i don't think it was enjoyable and there was definitely quite a lot to dissect but i don't think it was quite the level of maybe like i don't know being john malkovich or whatever um yeah i think that there Ooh, are okay let, let me think really generous so I was 7.5 wait what did i give what did Eight. i give being john malkovich oh i'll look it up Indeed. Well, I'm just thinking because I was thinking 7.5 at first, but then again, when we discussed the themes and stuff, it went up, which seems to happen quite a lot. You gave it an 8.4. Yeah. An 8.4? Yeah. We well, used to always give really okay, high ratings. It's fine then. <laughs> yeah, it's me giving high <laughs> ratings. I'll give it, I'll, I'll stick with 8 then. Uh, yeah, no, I'll stick with eight. Fair enough. Nice. What, what are you doing, Ben? 7.5? 7.5. Oh. Groovy. So Does then, anyone have any recommendations? I do. So <gasps> yep. Go ahead. I also have one. So I've, I'm watching quite a few series recently. Um... But I'd like to wait until I finish them until I recommend. So in the meantime, I'm gonna recommend some music. And it's quite it's an album. Well, it's like 
13 minutes long and then it's like got the instrumentals as well so it's like 33 so it's kind of an ep i guess called mm. quarantine casanova by the funk band chromio which is basically just like a sort of i guess it's sort of comedy album um based on like the events of being in lockdown and everything so all of the the, the sort of concept is they're gonna take like really annoying and things like um songs clorox wipe six feet away stay in bed and do nothing cabin fever so it's like all of these really negative things about lockdown but they sort of lyrically transform them into sort of like weird like innuendos and stuff so um (laughs) so like the whole point of like for example the song clorox wipe is like on its surface it's just like wow chlor uh these disinfectant wipes are really really useful now but it's sort of like comparing it to um a guy who has a, a crush on a girl and he's like um i'll i'll be your i'll be your disinfectant wipe i'll i'll be useful i'll be appreciated i'll be <laughs> all of these things um and it's so it's it's really light-hearted it's it's fun i guess some sort of light in these like weird times and then most of all the like I'm, i've been listening to a lot of chromia recently they're like a, they're really good it's sort of like somewhere between like 80s synth funk and like 90s sort of g-funk hip-hop um with like a sort of more classic disco feel on top so it's like really upbeat really really happy um the the (laughs) the vocals are so you've got a singer but then you've also got a guy who uses a talk box for most of the songs so like with stuff like roni got me stressed out it's like a back and forth between dave on the vocals and then just like um patrick going completely insane on the talk box so um and then um, I'll, I'll leave it off with this there's a lyric in cabin fever where it's just like i can't remember how exactly how it goes i could look it up but i might not be allowed to know um where it's just like if you're extremely depressed um and you don't want to get out uh, of of bed just imagine we're trapped in the room with you and we're playing this music uh, which is kind of positive um and also if you buy it they're donating all of the like 100 percent of the proceeds to uh a covid19 relief fund so that's kind of cool so yes Ooh. i would definitely cool. recommend that it's extremely funky i've, I've got it on now yeah is <laughs> yeah um it also guess I guess it'll sort of serve as a time capsule in like a couple of years' time where like because obviously mm. there's been all of this music that's been released because people are trapped at home and can't tour. So just in a couple of years there'll just be like people listening back and going, Whoa, do you remember the time when we were in lockdown? And these guys obviously had a lot of fun making this. Oh, also yeah. one thing before I actually allow anyone else to speak, they <coughs> weren't originally planning on releasing this they kind of just did these jams um like one per one per week on their instagram so they were just having a bit of fun but then people really enjoyed them 
and so we're just like, well, we'll release this. And they were just like, no can do. So, yeah. <laughs> cool. Nice. Who wants to uh, suggest next? I'll go next if you want. Go on. Um, well, so as you were saying about not finishing watching anything, I well, it's not that I haven't finished watching this, but it's just sort of releasing episodes every week on Netflix. And it's not perfect in any sense. It's actually getting quite badly reviewed. But um, it's still fun. It, it's the Netflix series Snowpiercer. And I know mm. it's based on a film by the director of Parasite, which might be something we could consider for future episodes. Uh, yeah. It's basically a 10-part series the basic premise is set on like uh basically the end of the world and because um it was like great global warming so they try to overcome it by uh um sort of putting in place this freezing mechanism which then uh introduced like absolutely freezing temperatures so that no one can live on the surface of the earth so all the remaining uh, humans are trapped on this perpetually moving train and there's basically there's four sections of the train there's first second third and then there's these people who uh, sort of just climbed onto the train as it was boarding um not no one wanted them to come on. They're called the Tailies, and they're sort of below the proletariat, I guess. And basically, the the episodes are better when it's not exploring the train itself, but the class struggles, which I know is something that the director likes to focus on in his films. Um, but the plot in the first sort of few episodes was, revolves around uh, someone called Leighton, who is from the, the tale, and he is brought up to uh, try and solve a murder that has happened on the train, and um, there's loads of twists and turns, uh, but basically they're all um, operating under this mysterious uh, Mr. Wolfhard, I think he's called, uh, but at the end of the first episode, there's a twist about him, which I won't spoil. Um, but it, as I say, it, the episode, it definitely is at its peak when it's looking at the class struggles and more of the character development rather than sort of the goofy idea of fixing the train or they're going to crash or it, there's an avalanche or something like that. But um, And it's not doesn't necessarily have the most compelling characters uh, but I think as it's gone on so far, I've watched the first I think, seven episodes. Um, I definitely say it, it's gotten better over time. And yeah. Cool. Nice. Yeah, I, I want to watch it. Well, the film. Yeah. yeah. At least. <laughs> at least the film. Um, sure. I have, I think, uh, I've got a podcast recommendation. Ooh. Exciting. So um, this is for for all you uh, nerds and stuff out there. I'm. It's the podcast is called Ain't Slayed Nobody, 
Um, it's a podcast where they basically they play Call of Cthulhu, the RPG game, and um, the 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 current like main campaign they're doing, which they're calling Yawl of Cthulhu, is set in uh, the Wild West. So it comes out on second Tuesday of every month. Um, it's it's pretty small-ish, I think. Small-ish. Um, and they basically just, like, they play Call of Cthulhu, but it's it's really well done. Like, they do some great sound design stuff to get you in the mood or get the atmosphere right. Um, th- and there's, the editing is done really well, so I think they do actually cut bits out but you don't notice. But what it what it does is it makes it one of the most well paced um, like RPG things I've watched or listened to. So, for example, the massive one like Critical Role for me that was just a bit too slow moving. But um, what they do here, like the the story is pretty well. It, it do, they do pretty well at keeping it moving, even though they're, they're literally just all like messing around and playing a game. Um, uh, the people on it are funny while also managing to keep. Um, the suspense and i mean the last episode just ended on a big cliffhanger and i'm i'm waiting for the next one uh, i'm very excited so maybe if you're if you're into rpg games or maybe if you just want to see what they're about then uh have a listen to this because also not only is it fast paced but also the episodes are short they're only about like an hour to an hour and a half that may not sound short but like trust me some some uh like rpg podcasts can be 4 to 5 hours long an episode so yeah, and it's pretty early on, so you can catch up very quickly. So listen to that, and go support them. Like join their Discord and stuff. Great. So that's ain't slayed nobody. So there you go. Cool. Got three different nice. types of entertainment to them. This. Whoa, week. we've got all of it. Well, we do. Can't think of any possible other forms. <laughs> Have we recommended a board game yet? Oh no! After after <laughs> do that. Then we point. need to recommend a painting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll recommend a, a a poem as well. Oh yeah. So, uh, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed. I'm going to try working on making this outro a bit more streamlined, but obviously I haven't done that yet. So, um, <laughs> for now, <laughs> for now, if you want to keep in touch with us, we're on Twitter and Instagram, um, both at EOV Podcast. We have a website, entertainmentofexcellence.weebly.com, W-E-E-B-L-Y.com. Um, and we post like little write-ups of the reviews there and on in social media we we do clips um might end up doing some other stuff i don't know at the moment it's just clips for like general consumption um if you have something you'd like us to watch or review please please email us um you can do so on the contact form or you can leave a comment on youtube or messages on instagram you know we're just however you want to contact us also we've the last two weeks we haven't had any submissions for well we have had one but we haven't got around to doing it yet uh, for our submissions spotlight section um so basically all that is is if you're a creator if you 
uh, if you're like a writer, a filmmaker, a musician or whatever, all of it, maker, you can send <laughs> send your work in um, and we'll give it a review um, on the podcast for like five to ten minutes. We did, for, we did one for the country band Crow Bunch a couple of weeks ago. If you want to check that out for what we'd sort of be doing. Um, and most of all, the most important thing is if you have any uh, feedback, if we're doing a crap job, let us know. If there's anything we can do better, <laughs> yes. let us know. Um, you know, leave us ratings, leave us reviews, leave us constructive criticism. You know, we're, we're still pretty new and we'd like to get to a decent standard. So, yeah. Uh, thanks for listening. Don't think I've missed anything out. All right, see you. All right, right, see you. Yeah, that's interesting.